Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Hi. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome back to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki, and it's a supersize episode. We'll be off on Friday because it's Christmas Day. So we're going to jam a week's worth of Skates and Plates into a single episode because everyone likes deals during the holidays. Happy holidays to all the listeners out there, by the way. Uh, So for today, we're going to continue our state of the franchise in just a second with some special guests that I may have regretted bringing on, but that'll be coming up pretty soon here. Later on in the episode, we've got a great interview with Calvin Trong. He's the chef and part owner of the Q franchise in the city. Uh, Q Bistro, Grill, Bochi, Snackbox. I think that's all of them. They're all top notch either way. Uh, So we'll touch on that. Um, we'll touch on Calvin kickstarting the ramen trend in Winnipeg, some of his burger week creations and their new tacos that are out and look absolutely outstanding as well. Maybe some breaking news, perhaps that's coming up a little bit later, but we're going to continue our state of the franchise. We've talked about the forwards and the defense so far, which leaves us one last on ice component. And that is the goaltenders. And when your team's netminder just won the Vesna, well, it makes things pretty easy when it comes to the rankings, at least pretty fun as well. Well, since it is the holiday season and the holidays are all about family, let me introduce you to some of mine. With us now, my dad, Andy Rewicki, and my younger brother, Joey Rewicki. How's it going tonight, guys? Pretty good. Going good? Pretty good. Excited to be on. Don't screw this up for me. (laughs) <laughs> we'll try our best <laughs> now for the for those listening i didn't bring on these two just because we're related so for those that don't know we'll start with you dad you actually played professional goalie back in the 70s way way back then in the in the ihl and then you were also at training actually, camp for the flyers and the red wings right it was actually in the 80s oh no it wasn't yes it was either Three. way <laughs> 1980, 1980 to 85, yeah. He's, he's old. He's not that old. Yeah, you're pretty old. <laughs> I was at the, actually, you're a little wrong. I was at the Red Wings uh, camp. I was at a Red Wings camp in uh, Kalamazoo in the IHL, uh, and then uh, was off to Peoria in the, so, and then uh, a little bit in the East Coast League in Winston-Salem. So a cup of coffee here and there. And Joey, in my opinion, 
is the best goalie in the history of the MJHL. And <laughs> if his wrist wasn't made out of paper mache, thanks, Dad, uh, then you'd be playing a little bit of pro yourself. So for those that are a little unaware, Joey himself was a hell of a goalie back in the day, too. Yeah, I know. I, I got I to gotta blame my genetics a bit. The old wrist, uh, <laughs> old wrist wouldn't do it for me, but luckily dad passed on a few, uh, little bit of his knowledge to me, so goaltending runs deep in our family. Should we tell the Trechiak story? Oh, no. It's a goaltending I already, have, I already have enough nightmares. I don't need to <laughs> so for those that, that up again. Yeah, so people don't know this. But Joey went to a camp in uh, somewhere in Minnesota where, where Vladislav Trechak, the legendary Soviet goaltender, was teaching Joey. He, he was kind of yeah. just running, like, just going about teaching him how to become a goaltender. And there was this beautiful moment where after Joey completed a drill just exactly the way Trechak wanted, that Trechak came over to him and just gave him the biggest hug. And, Dad, what? Now, you videotaped that. Was there something that was videotaped over that? Well, the, the cold note version, uh, yeah. Afterwards, we went back. It was in Detroit Lakes. We went back to a local eatery. We had a nice, huge plate of nachos and cheese <laughs> that was massive. Never seen it before. So I thought, hey, let's videotape this, and we'll show Brandon because he'll be very jealous. <laughs> so we taped it uh, and uh, realized after that when I went to show you the look at the Tretjak video later that night that, it was replaced by the nacho video, so we lost it. Yeah, <laughs> lost in time forever. But we'll have that plate of nachos forever. That's all that matters. <laughs> Spent the rest of that night crying to a plate of nachos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so now I want you guys to to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I did some goalie comparisons for you two. So let me know if I if I got you guys right. Okay. Okay. I would say Joey, and it's not even a question. Is a dead ringer with the style that you played to of getting a balk off. I, I already knew that was coming before you said that. <laughs> like it is uh, eerie. It, it is so scary. Like, like every single mannerism. And I don't even think you liked him growing up, but you look exactly like of getting a balk off. Yeah. I you know what? I, I don't disagree with that. Especially when I, like when I was a bit younger before I had a goalie coach, uh, Definitely dead ringer for Nabokov. I like to think I looked more like Kiprasov near the near the end. And Dad, I would say you are definitely an angrier Ron Hextall. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Probably not far off. By the way, my my goal is to get my dad yelling at me and Joey at some point in this interview. So now that everyone knows your credentials. I guess we'll start with this because we're talking goalie rankings here. We're going to see where the Winnipeg Jets rank across the entire NHL. Do you guys both have them in the top 10? Yes, 100%. Dad? Definitely, yeah. Why don't you give us your top 10 starting from 10 on down, okay? Uh-oh. This is going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> because of his strong finish in the, in the playoffs, i go with 10. I'd probably go with Kadobin. I got to throw uh, Robin Leonard ninth, maybe eighth. Maybe a little surprising, but I, I, I like Markstrom. Maybe he's, the body of work still has to be a little bigger, but I would, I would have Mark, Markstrom in there at uh, eight. Markstrom's definitely not surprising. I, don't, I think he's, he's really tough. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, Darcy Kemper, huge year. 
Carey Price, I I don't have him in the top five, but I I put him in that sixth. Okay, all right. That okay. Well, then let, let's just get to your top five here, okay, Dad? I would go. Uh, I got Ben Bishop, Tukarask. I got uh, Connor Hellebuck at two. I got Vasilevsky at one, and I got Bobrovsky. No, you do not. <laughs> don't don't hang his what his bad year in Florida on him. <laughs> Who else where, do you hate it on? Where do you have Bobrovsky? I've got him in the top five. I got him at four. So okay, well, we have to talk Jets here, but we we got to talk about Bobrovsky first, then, because I felt like I went out on a limb in my rankings, and he was like thirteenth or fourteenth. But like, why would last season not be on Sergey Bobrovsky? I guess because I, I, I watched a lot of the games. Uh, on my uh, NHL center ice that I love. I'm, I'm throwing in there his, 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 his time in Columbus, where he's arguably maybe the best, but definitely in the top three over the last years in Columbus before he went to Florida. So I'm kind of giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. And we'll, we'll as we talk later, you'll find out. I like that. Nice tease. That's a good tease. All if right. I can, if I can interject here with the Bobrovsky a bit, uh, I'm actually pretty high on them too. You see with goalies when they move to a different team, a lot of times in their first first year or so, they'll struggle. It takes a while to kind of get used to that team, their play style, what mm-hmm. you're going to be relied upon, what chances they're going to give up. So I, I'm kind of with that, maybe not as high. I, I still think Bobrovsky's a tremendous goalie, and I do expect him to rebound this year as well. Is he in your top 10? Yeah, he actually is. He, he what the hell? Barely made it, but I, I do have faith. Like, He's an older guy. He relies a lot on athleticism. But I, I still think he has a couple good years left in him before that athleticism completely goes away. So I still have him in my top ten. Well, are you guys, I didn't expect you to throw me for a loop this early, but that's good. <laughs> I, I want to interject, though. Oh, my gosh. Go, <laughs> Very, how would you say, uh, reluctantly. But Carter Hart, I've got. At 11, but he could easily be in the top 10 and from Philadelphia. Well, that's just because you, you hate Carter Hart for some reason. <laughs> yeah. All right, Joey. Well, then give us your top 10, okay? Well, since we're talking about Carter Hart, we'll start with him at number 10. Uh, I, I, I really like him with the Flyers there. We all got a glimpse of his potential in the playoffs. Probably the best lateral movement and crease control in the league, in my opinion, for such a young guy. Then at number nine, I got Kubrowski. <laughs> you can say what you want, but with the Panthers, I, I still think he has it in him. I think he'll have a big bounce back year. Now, allow me to interject there, since we're all interjecting. <laughs> what, what, like, can you explain a little more when you say goalies struggle when they go to a new team? Like, what exactly? And f- because, like, to the average fan, you would think, I mean, you're you're there to stop the puck, right? Like, that's it, and it shouldn't change all that much. But it is true that we see guys struggle to make that transition all the time. So what are some of the challenges when you go to a new team? Uh, if you don't mind, Joey. <laughs> yeah, go ahead first. You know, and, uh, but it's true because, first off, it's the, the, the most important thing is in front of you is your defenseman. And you may have may go from one style or a, a certain group of defensemen to the new team where that that style and, and the and the and the the way they play you just got to learn it you got to learn you know you know where are they 
some guys will, will, will might give the shooter a little more. They might give a few more shots, but they give, they're better at giving perimeter shots. Other guys will take away more of the middle and, and give the outside. Some guys, you know, if they're not as mobile, you're facing a different type of shot. But so you're, you're, uh, when you're with that one team for two, three, four, five years, and then you move to another team. Yeah. I, I think I agree with Joey. It's, that's a big, big factor because it's just getting used to how your team plays and especially how you, how the defense in front of you is playing. Yeah, totally agree. And like, it's even just like little mental things. Cause I mean, goaltending is 90% mental, especially at like the NHL level where everyone's so talented, you know, you get an arena change, you get house change, you get all these little changes that might be in the back of your mind. And that little reminder in the back of your mind during games can make a big difference. Like I know it sounds silly, but little distractions, little changes in your routine or whatever it may be might take a little while to get used to. So yeah, like your team in front of you makes plays a big factor getting used to the guys in front of you, but like even just the little things, it takes some getting used to. So I think he, I am banking on him to have a back bounce back year this year. Okay, so you had Bob at nine. Do you want to go through the rest? Uh, at eight, I got the Flames with Markstrom. Um, I really liked him last year. I think you might even see him have better numbers this year. Uh, Vancouver played plays a little looser than I think the Flames do. Um, and I could, for me, I could see him even being a dark horse Vesna candidate. Number seven, I got John Gibson with the Ducks. I, not much has gone right for that team <laughs> the past year. Yeah, because they suck. <laughs> I, yeah, they, they're they're terrible. But I still think he's one of the most talented goalies in the league, and you put him on a good team, and he's easily top three, could make it into the top three. Big question for him is his health, though, but mm-hmm. I, I, I'm really high on his talent. Number six, I got the Bruins with Rask. Five, I got... Arizona with Kemper, able to steal a couple of games in that bubble playoff there. Uh, I think a big part is their system, but he's proven that he's that guy that can steal you games. This is where it's getting a little trickier, but I went with uh, Vegas and Leonard. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, I went with Vasilevsky. reason he's not higher is I think some of his flaws are hidden with how good of a team is in front of him. But, like, if you're building a goalie, he's basically a video game. Like, the guy's tall, fast, flexible, has amazing reflexes, still so young. He's definitely one of the best goalies in the league. Number two, I had to go with Helly. Uh, wanted to put him one, but there's a reason why I couldn't. I, I have to put my favorite guy at number one, but obviously Jets fans know how good Hellbuck is, and he's going to be asked to do a lot this year. Just the changes in his game he's made over the past couple of years, his consistency's improved, and he's definitely going to be a perennial a candidate in my mind. Number one, I got to go with Carey Price. Still. Oh! <laughs> I, I had him. I had him a lot, a lot higher up or lower, wherever you want to say on my list. Yeah, I originally had him at five, but I still think he's the best goalie in the league. Like I. No matter what stats say, no matter what anything says, I, I think if you put him on a good team, he's he's taking that team to a cup final. Like he's still that guy. He's a bit older, but if he hasn't lost a step, like he still passes that eye test, and he's by far the most technically sound goalie I've ever seen. So I got to go with Carey at number one. 
Very nice. I love the controversy in both your rankings. By the way, <laughs> you're listening to Skates and Plates here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Brandon Rewicki here with some family, my younger brother Joey and my old man Andy talking about goaltending rankings in the Winnipeg Jets across the NHL. I'll just go through mine real quick too, and then we can kind of compare lists and, and figure it out from there. Uh, so at number 10, here you guys talk about Markstrom. I probably should have put him in here. Um, but by the way, I went with team instead of just like starter. For the most part, it's starter. But sometimes I, I kind of went with a tandem if there was a, a tie between two guys. Uh, but number 10, I went with the New Jersey Devils. I, I actually forgot until I started doing this that they signed Corey Crawford. And, and Corey Crawford can still ball it. Like, he was he was outstanding last year. And the Mackenzie Blackwood is, I mean, all he's done in, like, 70 yeah. games in the NHL is a 9-16 save percentage. So, Devils suck, but their goaltending's pretty solid. So, I had them at number 10. I went with Vegas at 9. Uh, Leonard and Fleury, they, I mean, we'll see if either of those guys get stabbed in the back again. But, I mean, <laughs> Le- Leonard alone is a top 10 guy. You guys both had him in there. Yeah. Uh, just outside the top five, Arizona, Anaheim, and Philly. Uh, I, I can't believe you guys didn't join me on the Carter Hart train. He's the Messiah. He's the real deal. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, Kemper's out. Kemper's really good. He's really good. And then Auntie Ronta has a backup. I mean, there's not a whole lot of backups better than him. And I would agree that John Gibson probably doesn't get enough love just because the Ducks have been terrible. Uh, that's going to be interesting at the if, you know, Olympics, whatever it's going to be. Who uh, USA Hockey chooses to be their starter if it's going to be Gibson or Hellebuck? Because in the past, they've leaned towards John Gibson. Um, five and four, I went with the two best tandems in the league. Uh, Dallas at five, Boston at four. I mean, we've seen them for the past several seasons, and everybody knows they're they're about as good as it gets in the NHL. Now, where did you guys have, Joey, you had the Jets at number two. Uh, where did you have them, Dad? Well, I had, I had Hellebuck at two. So both of you had two. Well, I have him at number three. I mean, I, I look at it like this, because last year, to me, it wasn't even close. Connor Hellebuck was clearly the best goalie in the NHL last season. He should have been the unanimous Vesna Trophy winner. But Roman Yossi won the Norris. And I think if you had to ask somebody to pick a defenseman to start, you I mean, it would be unanimously Victor Hedman. And then maybe one or two other guys there, right? So just because a goalie had the best season doesn't necessarily mean he's the best at that position. There's nothing to complain about when it comes to Connor Hellebuck. Maybe outside of one thing, which we'll get to a little bit later on. So at number two, I went with... Andre Vasilevsky and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I like what Joey said. You have to see him in person to understand the physical freak that he is because he is a video game character. Like goalies that big aren't supposed to move that fast. I mean, as good as Hellebuck is, maybe just the athleticism of Vasilevsky will push him ahead for now for me at number two. And then... Can we mention something else? Or do you want... Or... Oh, no, it's your show. Go go ahead. <laughs> about Vasilevsky, I think both of you guys are totally right in what you're saying about him. And one thing, he plays the puck very well, yeah. Vasilevsky, very well. And that, to me, is Hellebuck. Other than everything else, I'd say, Helly, just don't play the puck. Just stop it behind the net and, let, and maybe slide it off. Don't 
That's that's his biggest right now is is Hellebuck's biggest problem is his puck handling. Yeah, we but, make but, we make a joke on the big show all the time on TSN 1290 that they need a shock caller. And the second Hellebuck <laughs> leaves the crease, Maurice just does, does, because that yeah, that's it, it, it's a nightmare when he goes back there half the time. Scary. Now, number one on my list of goaltenders in the NHL. Look, I have two fatal flaws as a human. One is my desire to domesticate wild raccoons. And the second is I will forever believe that Carey Price. That's right, Joey. Carey Price is the number one goalie of the NHL. Thank you. I just, I can't, I can't quit him. I think he's the greatest technical goalie in the history of the sport. I don't think anyone comes close to him. Like he's just flawless. And the numbers haven't been the same since his MVP season. I also think he's been overplayed. And then we saw in this past little mini playoff run that they had that when he's on his game, there's still, there's no one better. No, I, I, I always trust the players' opinions on yeah. goalies a lot. And uh, I was just doing a little research on this before we went, uh, started this podcast. And still to this day, players were polled who they'd want in a, in a Stanley Cup final. Uh, either than their own goalie, and unanimous, unanimously, Carey Price was chosen. So, no, you got to trust the players a bit, their opinions on this too, because they're the ones trying to score on them. They think Carey Price is the guy they want in net on their team. Like, you, you got to trust them, or or trust me, one of the two. They're, they're, no, both no, of them no. are both of them are brilliant. Uh, all right, well, so and, and and the other the other aspect of it too that you, and and he's. Right up there, there's a couple other guys I think that are, are very good at it. But his mental, mentally, he is so sharp and so focused, but also so calm. Yeah, that was you your know. biggest downfall as a goalie is that you were me- you were <laughs> mentally weak every time that I would score on you when we'd play together. So you mentally you would you would fail, and then there was absolutely no calm in your game whatsoever. I think you're confusing me with somebody else, Brandon. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to ask you guys some Hellebuck questions, maybe a little persuade too. Uh, but, Dad, what are what would you say are Hellebuck's greatest strengths as a goalie? You know how I felt about Connor Hellebuck uh, when he first came in? and Like you were a hater. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, but I, I'll put it this way. I, I, when, he, when he first came up watching him there, you know, to, to where he is now, like, so much more technically sound than he was three years ago. It's, it's unbelievable. When he first came in, he had trouble moving laterally. As far as I was concerned, he wasn't tight. He wasn't together. And, and his movements now are so, so much more, uh, you know, fluid and in sync. It's amazing. But you can see that he also worked his ass off, you know, and most nights anyways, he's, he's zoned in. You can, you can, you know, he's got those crazy eyes, but you can, you know, he's, uh, I think mentally he's very strong as well, but uh, I, I think is you know he's, he uses his size well. You know, like some some guys are big, and you'll make remember a guy that played for the Flyers, Leighton, Michael Leighton, <laughs> and there's a guy that was six four, six five, and he played like he was about five seven. And uh, so, what, is, what does that mean when you say that? Well, some some guys will just get very they'll get compact. And almost to the point that, that, that you're, you know, instead of utilizing that size and, and playing, t- taking to your advantage, so, so guys will get so, like, uh, quick is so fast, and he plays to perfection because he's such a good skater. He can get away with it, you know, because he'll get way down, and then he gets his arms and, his, and his, everything's so compact that he's, he's to me, he's, he's vulnerable upstairs. 
You know, and, and he gives a lot, but he gets out so quick that the angles that you have to get to get it over him, by the time the puck gets to the net, a lot of times, guys, if they if he doesn't stop it, they're shooting it over the net. I just think he uses his size so well to take it up by that net. Like, guys just can't see. There's nothing to see there. And, Joey, you noticed a couple years ago that Hellebuck made some minor tweaks to his game. Yeah, so I, I, I know he was working, like, like Dad said, he was working with a goalie coach in BC. I believe he was out of Kelowna. Um, obviously, Flaherty is his goalie coach with the Jets, and I know that they did a lot of work with him two summers ago to kind of change his stance and work on his hands a bit because you go back and watch two years ago, his hands were and arms were just stiff, stiff and in front always, nice and low, more of a blocking style. And he was able to have great success in the AHL and uh, going up, playing that way. But once again, to the NHL, it's a, it's a kind of a different animal. So I know that they worked on having his hands more relaxed, more re- reactionary, less relying on blocking. Um, but he, he saw that that eliminated a lot of those uh, cheesy goals he was letting in early in his career, where, you know, like he's locked in against, He's locked in, and the guy shoots it over his shoulder at a weird angle, and he's looking behind him, not sure how it went in, just because he was just relying on that blocking method and just loosening up those hands. He's He has great reflexes. He needs, He's now realizing how to utilize that more and having those hands more relaxed and not so much in a blocking formation has really transformed his game, I think. We brought up earlier the <laughs> the elephant in the room when it comes with Hellebuck, and it's we all know it. Everyone knows it. It's the puck handling. Mid twenties, going to be thirty relatively soon. Can he fix it at this point to where it gets, say, even average? I'm just going to say, like I like to to play the puck a lot, and uh, and I know Joey uh, was very good at it too. Part of it is is almost you know understanding when to like. You've got to almost have like a, a little mentality of a, like understanding of the game and puck movement and when where the, where the puck should be going, and making that decision and and then being able to execute it by actually like you know being able to make a good pass or uh, or uh, uh, you know uh, read on, on where it should be going, and uh, so sometimes I think part of it too is just an in, you're just naturally good at it. You know, kind of like a guy that's got good hands as a forward, right? Like, you know, you can teach so much, but and you can practice and work at it. So I think part of it is is a natural ability. But, but to answer your question, too, yeah, you can always work at it. And you can always get it better. Um, I just don't think that it's going to ever be a part of his game where, you know, it's going to be a big difference maker. So I just would say, you know, get as good as you can get at it, but don't play it if you don't have to because – yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to be, I'm being nice here, I think, but I, I just don't, he, to me, he doesn't strike me as a guy that's ever going to be good playing the puck. Like, like you're saying, like, I don't think he'll ever be Carey Price playing the puck. Like that's just, it's no. just not going to happen. Uh, but he can drastically improve to the point where it's not a downfall anymore. And that's really all you need. I mean, look, if I, <laughs> I'm going to go a different way. If I'm Paul Maurice, I'm like, look, you stop the puck. If your first read isn't there, just whip it around the boards, get back into the blue paint. That's it. Like that, like exactly. just like we're, we're, we're never going to make you a high end puck mover. So let's just eliminate some of those needless goals that we've seen 
over the past several seasons. And, like, look, the best goalie of all time may have also been the worst puck handler, and that was Dominic Hasek. So it's not like you need to be a good puck handling goalie. It would help. But, well, let's move on to Laurent Bersois. Would you guys say, from what you've seen over the past two seasons in Winnipeg, and it's interesting because he was a 925 in extended playing time the first season and then an 895 and a little bit less time this past season would i don't know is solid backup fair do you see something more something less what would you what would you term Laurent Brassois as I still think he's a he's a adequate is probably the the best word to describe him adequate backup he's not someone that's going to absolutely hurt you uh but he's not going to be the guy who's going to come in and steal you a game when you're started taking a rest i think you saw the big dip in his numbers due to him not being able to bail out his defense as much uh you know jets d wasn't as great last year as previous years especially with bufflin missing a couple other guys uh not being able to fill in so i think that's why you saw the big dip in the numbers but he's still he's still an adequate backup guy that's not going to make or break your team but he you can rely on him to put him in on the odd night here and there uh, have you guys ever heard of the term? I mean, Dad, you don't because you don't go on social media because you're a boomer. Um, but the term goaltending is voodoo. <laughs> but have you have you heard about the term goaltending is voodoo? Among other things, yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's a yes or no. <laughs> so you haven't heard it. <laughs> yeah, you got me in that one. Okay. Joe, Joey, have you heard about that? I, I've actually never heard about okay, that. Okay, so I guess the best way to describe it or explain it to you guys is that sometimes it's hard for fans, it's hard for the stats guys to get a sense out of what a goalie truly is just looking at their numbers and why some goalies, and even the best ones, will have these great seasons. And then, oh, it's all the way down into the low 900s, a terrible season. Oh, and then right back up the next year. Can you maybe explain why sometimes even great goalies and, and Connor Hellebuck's one of them where, you know, yep. the, if you look at his, some of his seasons, there's a couple of Vesna nominated ones, including the trophy to go along with it. But then there's a bit of a dip in, in between some of those seasons. Can you explain why that could happen? And if it's even the goalie's fault sometimes statistically wise, goaltending is the hardest thing to measure. Goals against and save percentage aren't really a true indication of a goalie's impact on a team. I might get some hate for this, but you look at Marchand Brodeur early early on when the Devils were winning all those games, playing the trap style, and he's facing at most 20 shots a game all from the outside. You're going to have great numbers. Like you're just You just are. You're not facing many high-quality shots. Your, your team's limiting the amount you're facing. Your job's pretty easy. Uh, for the most part, but Broder is a great goalie, so I'm, I'm not not knocking him. But your numbers already get get inflated based on uh, your team's play style, um, how many quality shots you're facing, and yeah, that's that's pretty much the, the best way to describe it. I think like there there is really no true stat that measures the goalie's impact that we have in today's game, in my opinion. So. It, it's it's very hard to judge how effective a goalie is for a team. Yeah, I I I would go along with that too, and uh, like just to kind of tag on to that, 
like what Joey was saying about the shots too. Like exactly, like you know, a dumping from center ice is the same whether it's a dumping from center or you you stop a two and zero oh and a one timer and dive across and stop it. They're both one shot on goal, and you know, uh, so it's it's just it's it's. Uh, there's a lot of intangibles, and there's a lot of things that that you just that aren't into those. You just can't go by a, you know, uh, a save percentage or a, a save percentage. To me, at least, is a little bit better indicator than a goals against average. Yeah, goals against average you know, sucks. Yeah. You know, and and so yeah, and and then there's some other things. But then the the other thing too is that from one year or another, there it's the intangibles too that maybe you don't see. Just not just you know, there's maybe. Sometimes there's an egg and injury that you can play, but you're just not 100. percent And you, and and some just like we talked about getting traded. Maybe just one defenseman or one pairing gets changed up, or you lose one guy or or two guys, but they were the kind of guys that the goalies love, you know. And then their confidence and their little mental thing. And then they're just there's so many things. But over over a course of time, and especially if he's played four or five, six more years. You're still going to get the cream always rises to the top, I think. So the guys, the players, the goalies that are the goalies, even if they don't have as good of numbers, they're still they could still be a lot better than than what their numbers say. Yeah, and like I'm a big fan of the the heat maps and the shot charts that are out now because you can gotta get a sense of okay, the, the, generally this is what the goalie's facing, but even yeah. even then, like you'll see a goalie sometimes and oh wow, they're giving up a lot from the point. I mean. His numbers should be a lot better than that. Goals saved above expectation, all that. But, I mean, yeah. you don't know how many screens were in front of him. You don't know who the puck hit off of on its way to the net. And, and the other, and the main problem, too, with just a, even just a shot chart or a heat map is you don't know the tracking that led up to that shot. Because, I mean, you guys would know this better than anybody. A set goalie, especially at the NHL level, is going to stop the puck 99 times out of 100. Essentially, like, almost no matter where it's from. But the second you start moving, I mean, the difficulty yeah. of a goaltender's life just goes way through the roof. I, I do agree. That I do like the shot charts as well. But who, who's on the end of that shot? Is it Shea Weber? Are, are we facing a 100-mile-an-hour slap shot or are we facing an 80-mile-an-hour slap shot? So there's so many different factors that can't be measured. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever truly get a perfect stat or perfect set of stats to um, analyze goalies. But, yeah, I, shot charts, you kind of have to look at everything as a whole. Um, it gives you a bit of a picture. At the end of the day, you just got to watch. Watch and try and pick up on certain things, see what, how the guys are playing. If they struggle in certain areas, that's how you're going to get a true analysis of a goalie. Uh, that's help, but they're not going to be the answer for you. Well, and, you know, I think, too, it's, it's, it's consistency. You know, so... I think the most anybody wants out of any player in any position, but you know, especially in goal, because every time you make a mistake, it just magnified so much. Because nine times out of ten, if you make a mistake, it's in the net. So you know, you just want the, the consistency. To me, is 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 where everybody's got to strive to be as consistent as it can be. And I was, you know, looking at some stuff with with with, with Helly here in the, the last three years. Um, I kind of look at, you know, like last year, how good his year was and it was crazy how it saved for, what his save percentage was in a lot of games. But I did a little faster where I went games that he was under 900 or 800 or, or worse in a game. 
and games, and I took a Lofty number here, but where he was at 930 or better. So he played 58 games last year. He had 28 games that he was over 930. And he had 18 where he was eight, you know, eight, eight in the 800s or worse. And he still had those numbers with 18 games like that. And the year before, he had 24 games where he was below 900 and 18 above 930. And the year before that, it was 23 below 900 and 32 above 930. And you might be saying, well, okay, well, what about all in between? Well, the amount of games he played, there's not a lot in between, but then the rest were all nine, somewhere in the, you know, the, the nine, in the 900s, which nowadays, if you're at 915, 916 or better, that's kind of the, the number that's acceptable. But, you know, to be in the upper, upper echelon, you, you've got to be in the, in, in the 920s and higher. And I think if Helly can get, and the team too, but, if you can get those where those, you know, get those, you don't have to be at 950 and 960, but you can get those games where you're, there's less and less and less where you're under the 900 mark. That's where the consistency is, and then it, he, he's got that opportunity to, to be even that much better. Nice numbers, nerd. <laughs> nerd. <laughs> nerd. Yeah. yeah, well, hey, it took me two days to do that when you don't have a calculator, you know, I, I had to move. I had to move those, uh, you know, moving the, my count my fingers. Like, you know, it took a long time. <laughs> Let me guess. You have your you have your big magnifying reading glasses on right now, don't you? Of course not. They're hanging on my shirt. <laughs> All right. Well, how about how about before we go? Do you guys want to make a prediction for the Vesna this year? Ben Bishop at twenty five to one. That is pretty tasty to have him there with guys like Grubauer and Blackwood. I wouldn't. I might throw a couple shekels on Ben Bishop if he can stay healthy. He's yeah, he, yeah. He, has yeah. A shot. he can stay healthy, and 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 if Dallas can just, they're getting a little longer in the tooth. But if you know if they're still uh, you know hungry, hungry enough, I mean they, they 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 play well in front of them too. Well, you know, that's their style of game. So yeah. Well, Dad, I mean. If this past little while has shown us anything, it's that old people can still contribute to society. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. Well, more where that came from. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see if you get a second go on here. All right, well, what better note to edit on than that right there? This was a blast, and you guys acquitted yourselves pretty nicely, so I'll give you some credit, and maybe we'll have both of you or... One of you, we'll, we'll find a way to get you guys back on here again sometime soon, hopefully when the hockey gets uh, back on track, okay? Thanks for having us, and, and uh, Merry Christmas to everybody that's listening. And a Happy New Year. <laughs> Come on, Dad, you got to add that in. Oh, very happy. <laughs> All right, so hopefully you're not too scared off by a little slice of wiki life there. <laughs> actually went pretty well. I was surprised. I'm a little disappointed that my old man didn't have a meltdown, so I'll, I'll apologize that I couldn't make that happen for you guys. But all in all, a good chat, and we had some good fun there. So thanks, my dad, Andy, and thanks to my little brother, Joey, for joining us and, and talking some goalies here. Now we're going to move over to the plates portion of the podcast. Very pleased now to be joined with Calvin Trong. He's the executive chef slash owner slash laborer slash a bunch of other titles of all the Q franchises here in the city. Calvin, how's it going today, man? 
Not too bad. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I actually want to start off with a bit of a story, Calvin. My origin story with your franchise, if that's okay. Oh, sure. I'd, I'd love to hear that. Actually. So I think it was, it might have, it must have been five years ago, and I was at ManyFest uh, for the first time for the, for the food truck wars that go on there. And yep. I was familiar with a bunch of the trucks that were there, but I remember seeing this at the time, this little cart, and it just had the biggest line possible. And so I thought, like, I, I didn't even know what you guys served, but I'm like, I'm just going to get in line and make sure I can grab a spot before it's too ridiculous. And then I get up to the front, and it's it was Q Grill. And I saw the sandwiches that you made, and I ordered a couple. And after my first bite, I was like, Winnipeg is going to fall in love with you guys. What 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 do you remember about the, the early days of, of Q Grill? Oh, man. So the early days of Q Grill... We uh, we ended, we started off as a little food cart, like as you've seen. Um, and Manifest has always been great to us. Like we love the people in Winnipeg, uh, and obviously as the lineup shows, they they love us. So and they've been we've been fortunate enough that they've been uh, supporting us throughout all these years. Uh, we actually are um, the five times uh, people champs for uh, Manifest five years in a row. Um, so that's one, one thing that we kind of uh, were able to pride ourselves on, but yeah, the early days of, of Manifest, um, like, like I said, we started off as just this little tiny hot dog cart and you know what, uh, we just kept growing, growing and, and those were, those were simpler days. Let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, MJ and the Bulls didn't even five Pete. So that is. That's some legendary stuff right there. So are you are you like me where you're super competitive even when it comes to food? Like cuz I can imagine after the first couple, you know, going for the title again and again, did did your competitive juices ever get the best of you at any time? Oh, absolutely. You know what? We we're always trying to strive for the best and and try to deliver a product to Winnipeg that, you know, maybe they haven't seen or something that's totally different that's going to excite their taste buds and and, and we're always just, you know what, and here at Q, we're, we're always trying to innovate to to bring people excitement in food. That's that's kind of what we, we, we pride ourselves on. Well, we love to also make connection to the local hockey team here. And when you talk about making that connection, can you touch on what it was like, I guess it would have been a couple years ago now, where you helped serve and helped cater those famous Jets White-O parties downtown? Oh yeah, that was that was amazing. You know what? Um, during that time, um, you know the Jets obviously were, were in were in the playoffs. Um, Winnipeg was ecstatic. Like everybody in the whole city came out to support the Jets, and it was it was it was just a, a beautiful thing to see in our city. Um, all the communities coming together, and we had fun. We had a fun time. You know, just um, uh, we we in the first uh, couple ones we brought our bought our food cart so you know and we helped uh, serve people out of there and that was that was truly amazing as well too so and you know i find that with our food carts um we're really able to connect with our our clientele talk to them get on a name-to-name basis so that's for us that's really exciting take us back then to the beginning of the i guess the kickstarting of the q franchise was that would that have been in, in 2013 with q bistro yeah, actually, so we started off with uh, Q Bistro, and kind of uh, where where Q is kind of derivative from is uh, uh, there's a prefecture in Japan 
Um, they, it's called Kyushu. So we kind of based our ramen um, on their similar types that they do over there. So when doing that type of ramen, we, you know, I, I was just infatuated with that area and we just adopted the name Q and it just kind of stuck with us ever since. Q Bistro being uh, primary a ramen restaurant, um, we just really wanted to move forward and do something innovative at that time in 2013. There was no one really doing ramen at that time as well. So, Which is really interesting, right? Because... I mean, getting into the food scene now, it feels like ramen's everywhere. Like, everybody has had some kind of gourmet ramen, but you guys really did kickstart the whole trend here. Yeah, at that time in 2013, I was about seven, seven years ago, um, there was, there's not very many places doing, like, authentic um, pork bone ramen soup. Um, and, you know, I travel, I've, tried, I've traveled to Japan and a bunch of other places that... You know, I've had it, and I was like, wow, this is truly uh, a heartwarming soup that you could kind of really feel the soul of. <laughs> so I kind of fell in love with that, and I wanted to. Then I started studying the ramen for like extensively uh, for over like two years, testing out different stuff, and finally we got to kind of like this, this one that we really liked. <laughs> the opportunity came up, and we ended up... Uh, opening up the QB show, so that was really interesting. Jeez, see, now I I read that you spent a year perfecting the certain recipe you wanted, and then is it true that the simmering process alone is something like seventeen <laughs> hours long? Yeah, so every day um, we start our broth at around six or seven in the morning, Jeez. and we just <laughs> and it just and it's on a heavy boil, like 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 over boiling, like constantly. Um, just to kind of extract all that, all that protein and nutrients out of the bones, um, and that's what really gives ramen that that in-depth flavor and that creamy white broth that you kind of see. And it's all the gluten that's kind of in there as well. <laughs> like it's just, oh man, it's it's you know it's a, it's a long grueling process, but it's definitely worth it. Well, and the best part too is that like you know nobody can make it at home. <laughs> like no one's going to go through all that effort. It's just it's worth it's worth heading down to Bistro and and making the purchase yourself and it's absolutely out of this world. I I just I can't get enough of it. Uh, I did want to ask you this though. This past year's Burger Week burger at Q Bistro was I I think you called it the cheesy ramen burger, correct? <laughs> yeah. So how did how did that idea come about to put cheesy ramen noodles on a burger? Well, uh, you know, we, we wanted to do something that was fun and exciting. Um, and then it was, if you had it uh, for dine-in, um, because obviously we couldn't do the flying noodle. Uh, for yeah, how did you do that? <laughs> so uh, that, that's a trade secret. You might have to come, uh, come down and, come down and, uh, and try, uh, try for yourself. There. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, it, it, it's an interesting process. Um, but you know what? Like we wanted to do something that was interesting at first because we we're like, you know what? Let's spice it up. Let's 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 do something that nobody's really um, even attempt to do. So we had seen this kind of thing about this flying noodle thing. Where they, we thought, hey, that'd be pretty, pretty cool. And then when we were putting together the burger, uh, I was like, man, we gotta go cheese all day for sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> cheese for me is like, oh, this goes well in a burger. And I had these. It's been like a kind of a new trending thing where there's these 
cheesy noodles, but not to the extent that we did it. We just kind of pushed it over the, over the edge and, and really played around with it a little bit more to get um, it really uh, cheesy and spicy. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, with this year's Burger Week, it it was it's very interesting and. and and we didn't think that we could have pulled it off, but, you know, we, we kind of perfected it and, and kept trying at it. We had a lot of failed attempts, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but we kept going with it. We stuck with it. And, you know, a lot of people loved it. So we were, we were really ecstatic for that. Yeah, count me, count me in that group as well. Now, I, I have to imagine there's a bunch of people like me that have said this to you before, but I got to do it anyways. And I, it's my own menu recommendation to you. Have you given any thought to putting just the cheesy ramen noodles on the menu full time? Oh, you know what? Uh, we've had lots of <coughs> lots of inquiries, but actually, and uh, who knows? Maybe we'll call it the uh, the TSN noodles. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would make my life! I'd be so happy. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to hold you to that now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We work with our, our developmental group and uh, put something together for you guys. Perfect. Awesome. I can't even imagine the amount of work that a restaurant has to go through during burger week but what's yeah. it what's it like when you're oh a partner slash chef in like five different ones our challenges that we have every year is to innovate and do something that somebody else is not going to really do because like there's 162 restaurants that that enter burger week I'm trying to stay ahead and and try to do something that, you know, no one could, I mean, like, the last thing you want to see is, you know, you're doing an entry, and, and the restaurant down the street's got the same <laughs> entry as you. <laughs> right? And that's, and you don't know, right? You don't, you don't know what, what people are going to enter, and you don't know what people are, because are, everyone, you know, I, and I, I give it hands down to all the chefs in Winnipeg. Like, our Burger Week is hands down probably one of the best ones in the country. <laughs> And, you know, with Burger Week having so many restaurants involved and, and all the chefs trying to be innovative, like I said, you don't, the last thing you want is to have a similar attitude to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, it's about delivering that uh, impact on flavor. Um, and it's got to be visual as well. Um, you know, here at Q, we, we always try to strive for visualization. But on top of everything, tastiness, like you know, we, we want to make sure that we have a tasty product for someone. And when they enjoy it, they're like, wow, I need another one of those. <laughs> do, you, do you have, out of all your creations, one that, in, in your mind at least, stands atop from the others? <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I was just actually looking over some of our previous burgers um, that, we, that we've done in the previous years. And I can't, I can't even believe how many we've done. <laughs> it's like every year we have like three, four like now they've capped it at three three franchise uh, restaurants. Oh, yeah. So you're only allowed three restaurants inside of your franchise to kind of because they only have limited space and I don't yeah. want to crowd the market. I right? think it's a shot at you guys, actually. <laughs> it, it quite possibly be, but you know, it's 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 totally fine. So yeah, like I, it's hard to say, man. I I I love them all. I'm like I'm not gonna put out a product that that I'm not in love with. Yeah. You know, so I eat all the burgers, and and they're all they're all unique and 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 tastier in their own way. Kind of depends on how you feel, because I I just love burgers in general. <laughs> uh, totally, uh, and and so for the rest of Cube Bistro's menu, for those that haven't been, uh, the ramen is obviously the kind of the keystone of it. 
But you guys do a lot of really interesting. Like, there's a lot of Japanese appetizers. You know, like the teppanyaki, um, as as well as the the pan. Is it okonomiyaki? Is that correct? Yeah, okonomiyaki. Yeah, like a bunch of those. So, is it is it fair to say it's more of like a, a Japanese style menu that you have at Q Bistro? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, what that style of uh, Japanese cuisine that we do is uh, called izakaya. Okay. Uh, so that it's basically kind of like small eats food that you kind of pick at, kind of like tapas style things. And then we have our robata section, which is kind of like our skewers and stuff that we specialize in. Um, and then, you know, we, like we've kind of introduced like sort of like a, uh, a menu that's kind of like a compilation of, of all those type of things together and to get a full view out of it, right? So, <coughs> so yeah, we do a multitude of different different style of cuisines at, at Q Bistro. Uh, it's one of our longest standing restaurants, so we've had a lot of time to plan and play with it and uh, test and bring out new items. And you know we're we're excited to to kind of working. We we've been working on a, a kind of a new concept as well for in there. So hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully that pans out and everyone loves it. We'll have to get to that later on in the interview because that is extremely intriguing. We're speaking with Calvin Trong. He is the executive chef and owner of the Q franchises here in the city. Brandon Rowicki here with you on Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. So you started off with Q Bistro, which we've touched on in the early part of this year. Can you take us through what came next after that with Q Grill and then maybe some of the other places? I guess maybe just like the timeline of, of how you guys have expanded after the start at Q Bistro. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? Um, we started off Q Bistro in about 2013. Uh, the next one came out was uh, Q Grill. That was our, our food cart, and, uh, and, that's, and, and that's why where the name Q Grill kind of uh, came out from because you know, we were on these carts and they had a big grill on them. So, you know, we we're like, you know what? Let's just adopt that name. It works well. It's simple <laughs> enough for people to understand. And, and we just went with that. So, Q Grill was the next to kind of evolve. Uh, and then we expanded to a couple of carts. Uh, and now we have a food truck with uh, with that sector. Um, and then we actually have a, a sector in uh, in Vancouver that we're kind of wow. uh, we have a food truck in Vancouver that uh, we're running as well right now. So that's uh, Q Grill YVR. Um, but after that, uh, we ended up uh, we we had we had worked on a little project uh, in the south called Q Slice. It was like a pizzeria place, um, and we just kind of you know we were so busy at that time it was hard to kind of like take care of everything so that we, we ended up just putting a hold on that project there. Um, and then we had uh, Q Bochi, uh, which was kind of like our uh, Thai and Cambodian uh, cuisine that we kind of uh, work with. And that, that kind of had phenomenal success there. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people are really loving the spicy flavors and mm-hmm. different, different, uh, different flavors that are coming out of there as well. Um, and you know, it's really exciting cause that, that, that type of cuisine kind of touches space with me as well at home. Uh, and it's, you know, like a lot of times, you know, we, we try to strive to innovate all these types of things all the time. And, and we want, obviously we want to, we, we focus on, on give, delivering a, uh, a product that is very traditional in flavor. Uh, but a lot of times we'll, we'll recreate it and, 
and re-represented in a way that, uh, you know, a lot of people haven't really done in that sort of cuisine. And that's what we've kind of done with, with Q Bochi and, and Q Bistro as well. Q Bistro is more of a traditional, I would mm-hmm. say Q Grill is more of a fusion style. Uh, we take a lot of flavors and kind of mash them up together and just see what we come up with. And a lot of times it turns out pretty tasty. So, um, And then we have our newest endeavor, which is uh, the Q Snack Box. Um, that's kind of like uh, a Southeast Asian cuisine. Um, we have took in a lot of different flavors from a lot of different places. Um, and we just kind of threw them together in the menu. And, you know, and it's still, it's still a fairly new project that we're working on, but... You know, we we've done like really fantastic things, like the bang bang noodle. We've had lots of lots of uh, success with that one, and you know, we're always coming up with new innovations and different stuff all the time for there as well. I mean, if you want to hook me up with the bang bang noodle recipe, which I had the other day, that would be cool too. <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying, I'll throw it out there. <laughs> yeah, I know that. You know that we have we 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 roll all the all the. Uh, all the dough and everything, and then all of a sudden, and then we take it, we bang, we actually bang the noodles on the table there. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's where the name comes from. Yeah, you have oh. to stretch it, and then you kind of bang it. It's, <laughs> it's very interesting, actually. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I know that that's definitely one of our uh, top sellers there as well. So, and uh, like recently, we've been working on the burrito tacos with Q Grill, mm-hmm. um, and that's had a tremendous, phenomenal support behind. So. That's been fairly awesome. So. It's been all over social media over the last little bit, and somebody actually, uh, one of our coworkers here, Andrew Hustler Patterson, uh, got back to work, and somebody actually ordered it for him and brought it to the station here. And so I saw the picture there. I was like, "Oh my goodness, oh, wow. this is just the the latest wild creation." So how did how did the I guess the shift to to Mexican and the tacos happen for you guys? You know what? I, I've 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 been immensely in love with. Uh, Mexican food, like all my life, I've been to Mexico tons of times, and I, I love their culture. I love their food, um, and it, 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 we just kind of stumbled upon it by accident. Actually, um, <laughs> one day, like we were like, "Man, we really want to eat these tacos," <laughs> and there was no one else selling these tacos at all. And we we're like, "Man, I gotta get these tacos." So we ended up just making it ourselves, and you know, we made it just for our staff and a couple of friends. They're like, "Man, you gotta sell these tacos," and Everyone just, uh, we just made a batch. We tested it out. They said, hey, you guys want to, we, uh, we, 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 we made a couple orders for people to kind of pick up and try it. And they're like, man, these are amazing. So we ended up just, you know, trying it out, selling it for a couple of days. We were only going to do it for a day or two. But man, the demand was like incredible. Like it was just like people were like, "Man, we gotta get these tacos." <laughs> get these tacos. <laughs> so we ended up just flying with it, and then and uh, it's been and we're still going. So <laughs> um, it's been truly amazing lately. So that's awesome. Time. And, and and you know, as, uh, and and it's so it's so great that you know Winnipeg has been supporting us and trying to. Trying to, you know, and help help a rush because I mean these times right now it's been very challenging with, with you know trying to keep all of our employees employed and and everything else behind there. So you know we gotta kind of stay innovative, but you know people gotta eat too, right? So you know not only you're supporting someone, you're filling your belly. Awesome! Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, like I hate asking this question, but I think it's important for for the listeners and everybody here. Just to kind of get a better sense of what it's like, but how has the pandemic and everything 
affected what you guys do on a daily basis and how have you guys fared over the last several months um you know in the beginning it was uh it was very very challenging um we've had to almost do a 180 in just everything that we've done um we've had to re restructure the way that we approached every single aspect of how we wanted to do business and you know because like we we had we'd seen like massive drop in sales and we're like holy this is this gets serious (laughs) you know and we had a emergency meeting with our team and our group um and we we talked about a couple ways to strategize around um some of the things and and navigate some of the things that were were coming um and you know like we've always had uh, like a tremendous support uh, behind us from Winnipeg which I thank Winnipeg very much for um and you know we and we try to give back as much as we can we always you know we always try to support charities and and things all around us whenever we can and you know and for that like Winnipeg has supported us tremendously behind that so um, we've had a lot of support from Winnipeg, which is very, very great from us, and, and we can't appreciate them enough. But uh, on the business uh, side of things, you know, we've, we, we, we took a look at a, kind of how we were traditionally approaching um, our, our marketing and our sales and, and, you know, our food development, the products, everything. Like, we, we had to re-engineer everything right down to the product so that we had a better product because everything was takeout now, right? So yeah. we had to re-engineer all of our products so that it still was the same, like not, you know, obviously you can't get that in-house type of mm-hmm. um, flavor and, 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 and everything behind there um, and that in-house experience, but we want to emulate as much of that and, and make sure that the product was, was still delicious when you received it, right? So we had to go through and, overhaul practically more than half of our menu so that it would be able to kind of like, you know, adjust for, for these types of things and, and make sure that people are getting still delicious food. Cause that's at the, at the end of the day, that's what we really want to strive on is, is to deliver a product that people are, you know, are happy to pay with, pay for, right. Cause it's, it's, it's delicious. <laughs> you know, nobody wants, you know, you know, like food that's not great. Yeah. So, <laughs> So you know we we and we had to really look at that and and go back and and take a look at our strategies, our marketing, um, and really uh, shift a lot of our focus to like an online presence. We streamlined, we've upgraded our whole systems um, to do online ordering, um, which we didn't have before the pandemic. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we had to really adjust and, and our, and our, and, and, you know, I'm so proud of our team to kind of kind of work together and put these, put these together to kind of, um, make it easier for customers to order and, you know, deliver something that's, you know, still very delicious to them. So there's been a lot of challenges, but, you know, we, we, we meet all the time to talk about, um, you know, what's our strategy and, and how we can tackle these new challenges and new changes to restaurants, um, procedures and all that stuff. Like, you know, every week we have like, some new type of, type of uh, protocol from the health board comes out. You know, we have to oblige by that and, and, and make sure that, you know, we're, we're ready for these types of changes and stuff like that. So been interesting for sure oh geez well uh, you know from a chef's perspective 
What is the biggest challenge in turning the majority of your menu items into something that maybe is a little bit more takeout friendly? I'm sure you've had takeout by now. <laughs> From you guys a lot too. <laughs> so like, especially when you're, you're eating a product, um, you know, there's a lot of things to, to um, take in consideration. Like, does the product travel well? Is, is the product supposed to be crispy, but it ends up being soggy by the time you get it? Is the flavor, as it sits in the box or, or the container, um, is it going to be the same as, you know, or similar to when a person would be eating it off the plate where it's just coming out fresh from the kitchen, you know? So, like, a lot of times you have to look at these challenges and changes and make um, – like adjustments into you know tweaking the textures and batters the you know cook times all these other things as well too so i mean there's, there's a lot that goes into just making one one dish even. Yeah. so you know and and then on top of that it's got to look visually good yeah. <laughs> right? you can't just slap it in a box and be like hey there's your food right so like for us we're always paying attention to um how the how the product is looking is it tasting the way it should? Is it being delivered? Um, and then, you know, from the time it gets from the restaurant to the person at home, sometimes people are just skip the dishing or, you know, delivering or picking up or whatever. But it's going to take at least 10, 15 minutes to get from the restaurant to wherever you're going to be going, right? So we consider a lot of the, the, the lag time in between when you, when you take the order from where you get it to, to where it's going. Does it retain the heat? You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of aspects behind not only engineering the products that we're that we're kind of putting together, but uh, you know, and then at the end of the day, just tasting it. How it taste at the end of all that, right? Totally, totally. <laughs> all right, so we only got a couple more questions before we get you out of here because I know you're super busy, Absolutely. Calvin. <laughs> no, yeah. um, I don't really have a direction to this question. It's more yeah. of a statement, but I just wanted to say that your sauces are the best. <laughs> like oh like I'm a huge sauce guy and I mean whether it's the spice spicy mayo any of your other spicy ones or the sweet I mean just all of it is so great how like how much time and effort goes into your I don't even know how many sauces you have dozens hundreds you know what I myself am a big sauce guy yes. so that's probably why you'll see a ton of sauces or a ton of different uh variety of different sauces and and flavors uh, that we have or we carry throughout all of our restaurants. Uh, and, you know, I treat them all individually. Um, I try to try to just, every, every restaurant has, you know, like like their whole, like, repertoire of sauces and flavors that they work with. So, and, you know, I would, I would say that more than, you know, like almost all of our sauces are in-house made. We usually make a lot of all of our sauces from scratch, um, just because you know, I'm I'm a sauce guy. I, I love sauce. So like you good. know, you want you got something crispy. You want to dip it into something. Yeah. And just <laughs> it just it's just delicious. And a lot of times those flavors aren't on the market, so we end up having just to make it ourselves. <laughs> well, you do a great job, so please keep oh. on doing it. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Now, you you did mention something that I want to touch on here, but but first, uh, with Q Slice, hopefully everything works out for you guys in in that regard because it is one of the best pizzas in the city and your bulgogi za is up there like with the elite elite so all the best with q slice first off 
Yeah, we've just kind of put that project on hold right now. So we, we, we've got tons of stuff in the works right now. So hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that one in the, in the future. Now you did, and, and look, if you don't want to mention it, go ahead and tell me off. Uh, but you did mention a potential new project that you guys are working on. Can you maybe shed some light on that? Um, you know what? Um, we we're looking at uh, possibly, you know, because a lot of our restaurants are kind of like downtown. So we're looking at possibly getting something in the works for something in the south so that, you know, people can enjoy some stuff down on that side of the neighborhood. So we'll see, though. We're, we're, it's nothing concrete yet, so... Um, you probably got the exclusive on that one. Oh my goodness. Breaking news. You heard it here first on skates and plates. I like too, that you clearly don't want to dive too much more into it. So I appreciate you at least giving me a little bit. No, you know what? I, I, I don't want to jinx it. And I I'm don't the same way. To, so unless the project's like ready, set, go, uh, then, you know, I, I don't like to touch, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit, but I don't want to jinx it. And, and that project doesn't pan out. So, but we'll see. We'll see how things go. I'm a huge believer in in jinxes, so I'm I'm on board with you there. How about this? When, when it comes, if it, if it eventually comes to fruition, we'll have you back on to talk about it, and then we can find out you know everything you got working on. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. All right, last one for you here. It's the the final question that we throw towards all our guests. But let's just say coming up soon, it's game one of the Winnipeg Jets season. And I know you got a bunch of different places, so you can go anywhere with this. But what would be Q's rendition of the perfect game day item? Ooh, you know what? I I'm a firm, firm believer, uh, and you know I have a couple clients that are are like this too. When I when we the Jets came back, um, I have this customer uh, and a really good client and friend and friend of ours. They've got to have ramen every single time we've got a game day. It's it's like the it, it is like they're they're like oh man it is like their their ritual their ritual that they do every single time there's a home game. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets they got to come in and have a spicy miso ramen at the RB show. So, <laughs> I know really it's very, <laughs> yeah and it's and you know it. Uh, you know, you're in the stadium and it's cold out. It's usually winter. It always goes well. <laughs> That's a hey, man. That is an outstanding call. It's a unique one on top of that as well. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe, yeah, I think we're going to have to make that a reality here. And look, if they get on a win streak and people start this early on, who knows how long the, the Roman jinx could, could go on for you guys, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, Calvin, look, I know you're super busy, so thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Before you go, can you just let the people out there know how to how to give you guys a ring, how to visit you, all the different locations. The floor is yours. Just let everybody know how they can taste your delicious food. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we'll start off with QB Shrill. We're located at 185 Isabel. Um, you can check out our uh, Instagram page, and you can order directly right off of there as well, too. Um, and we got Q Grill. Uh, if you want to get in those Korea tacos, just go to QGrill.com, uh, and you just click order now. Uh, we've got the uh, Q Bochi. Uh, you can check out KYUBochi.com, and you can just order directly off of the site. It's simple and easy. Right on, Calvin. Well, hey, again, thank you so much right, for right. stopping by, and hopefully we'll talk soon, okay? I forgot one more. We have oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry about that. We have uh, Q Snack Box. If you want to get the Bang Bang Noodles, go to QSnackBox.com, and you can order directly off our site. 
Sorry it's like a family, a big family of children, right? You forgot somebody in the back. Yeah, yeah, it was like the youngest one. <laughs> yeah, that's what the baby gets. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Well, okay. again, Calvin, thanks so much, man. Have a good day. You too. Take care. And that does it for today's episode. That was a blast, by the way, with Calvin. And the best part about all the Q places is that they can basically solve any craving you might have. So. Please make sure to check them out. Grab yourself a tasty-ass meal and, and help out some good people in the community at the same time as well. And again, should mention, thanks to my pops, to my little brother, Andy and Joey Ruwicki, for joining me to talk about goalies, Hellebuck, Brassois, and the rest of the NHL. You guys did an absolutely outstanding job. Props and thanks for taking the time to join me. So like I said earlier, we're off Friday because it is Christmas Day. That means we're back Tuesday. It just may be time to go off the ice when it comes to the Winnipeg Jets. So maybe some coach and GM rankings are on tap. Plus, if you like pizza, which you do, you're going to want to tune in to Tuesday's episode. So that does it for us here. To everyone out there.